Micro Monday again, the microcast where we get to know members of the micro.blog community. I'm Jean McDonald, the community manager at micro.blog, and on this episode, I am very pleased to welcome Jess, who is at JLS, spelled J-A-Y-E-L-E-S-S, on micro.blog. Hi, Jess. How is it going? Hi there. Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's... uh. It's really nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, so far away, but yet you sound like you could be around the corner. Um, I could be. <laughs> maybe you are. <laughs> the wonders of modern technology. Maybe you are, but I don't think so. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I am living in Melbourne, Australia, where I have uh, grown up and always lived, basically. I live with my beautiful tabby cat and my partner, Vivian. Um, I work casually as a substitute teacher, but I also have a lot of hobbies and different interests that keep me busy outside of work. You know, Melbourne is one of those places I really hope to get to once traveling is a thing again. Mm-hmm. I mean, Australia in general, I have been once um, mm-hmm. To Sydney, I spent actually a couple of weeks in Sydney, which was cool, yeah. and uh, went on a little, well, not a little cruise, a big cruise, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a Mac Mac Geek cruise that uh, also stopped in Brisbane, so it could be photographed mm-hmm. holding koalas, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> went to the Great Barrier Reef and then to New Caledonia. Oh, uh, nice. It was pretty awesome, and Australia. I say Australia was awesome, but I know it's awesomely big too. So yes. uh, Melbourne was not on the itinerary. Um, I have been especially uh, interested since that time. I watched all the Mrs. Fisher murder mysteries. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> I'm quite familiar with that. So, <laughs> so beautiful um, vintage uh, I guess 1920s, I would say. Uh, yeah, I would say so. She's like a flapper, Mrs. Franny yeah. Fisher. And uh, then more recently, I watched the entire run of My Life is Murder with Lucy Lawless and uh, uh-huh. got to see a little bit of modern Melbourne. And I thought, uh-huh. yes, I would like to go there. Um, but what's yeah. it like right now? Um, are people able to travel around? Uh, well, traveling is... I guess, open within your state pretty safely. So Mm -hmm. for us here in Melbourne, we can travel to other parts of the state of Victoria fairly easily. Um, At the moment, you can visit like other states, but uh, we've had a spate of sudden border closures, which I think make it a bit too risky to travel interstate Um, because you run the risk of, say, you went up to Sydney for the weekend, you'd run the risk that the borders back to Victoria would be closed before you actually came home again which yeah. I think is a bit too stressful to bother with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I'm worried about with uh, resuming travel in general is that mm. it's going to be a while before it feels like fun. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, the tourist industry is really trying to to push us to travel around the country, but I just don't see how you can um, with the risk of border closures all the time. Yeah. So, Jess, I'd really like to know um, how you came to Micro.blog. I I sort of remember you showing Mm -hmm. up here uh, in the last year, am I right? Uh, Yeah, it was just in November, actually. Oh, really? 
Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> it's funny how certain people you feel like they've always been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, think I've thrown myself in once I got here. What piqued your interest? Um, well, I came across the concept of the indie web when mm-hmm. I was you know, doing my regular internet browsing. And as soon as I came across the concept of the indie web, it really uh, resonated with me, I guess, like this idea of posting your content primarily on your own site, your own location. Um, and microblog is quite uh, recommended by the indie web wiki as a good place to get started. Like it doesn't take a lot of technical knowledge or anything. It's got a lot of indie web features already built in. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give that a go. And then once I got here, I found the community to be so like welcoming and uh, also posting loads of interesting things, like the whole vibe of the community is really positive and supportive. Uh, so I have stuck around and taken to it pretty well since then. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I guess you, so you probably had a blog before that, um, before you joined micro.blog, um, or probably several if you're like the rest of the community. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would say many years ago I had blogs, but I'd sort of, uh, gone off them, I guess, you know, uh, around 2010, around that time when everybody was migrating away from having their own blogs to, you know, silo social media like Twitter or Tumblr or whatever. Around that time, I guess, I stopped having my own blog and moved to social media. But I wanted to move away from social media and return to having my own space. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good opportunity to do so and to actually take that plunge instead of just thinking about it. Yeah, it makes it really easy to get started. Um, yeah. which is like half the struggle, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> the other half is not redoing it every month <laughs> or, or <laughs> tinkering. <laughs> and I am a reformed tinkerer. I have le- I have definitely let those things go to the wayside because, you know, I did mm-hmm. have like a couple of blogs in the past, either on WordPress or things yeah. that I just did myself and, and they didn't last very long because they had a lot of overhead work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, I had uh, multiple blogs way back when I was a teenager or, you know, uh, undergraduate university on things like WordPress um, or Blogger for a while mm-hmm. and also this blogging platform called Chirp, which I don't think exists anymore, but it was meant to be like a lightweight version of WordPress. And the problem is that all those uh, – instances where you restart because often backups are not very good and they don't import well and sometimes you just want a fresh start anyway so there would be a lot of content I put out that no longer exists on the web but then again because I was a teenager at the time maybe that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) when you decide to put something on your blog what um I mean what are the kinds of things that you like to post um I think I definitely have an eclectic range of interests, so it can be a whole range of different things. Um, I certainly like to post about the books that I read. Um, I like to, you know, review them, I think, uh, as much to take notes for myself about what that book made me think at the end of it as for, you know, other people to decide whether they want to read the same book. Um, I also like to post a lot about, uh, you know, social issues and also sort of internet technological issues. I like mm-hmm. to post pictures of my cat. That's definitely a big category <laughs> of posts on my site is pictures of my cat. Um, and, yeah, and also just uh, things about languages and linguistics because that's a big interest of mine. Um, 
at university, a large part of what I studied was languages and linguistics, and it's an ongoing interest. I, too, am a language aficionado. I had studied a number of languages and speak a few of them um, mm-hmm. semi-fluently. I wouldn't like to say fluently, yeah. but I never have studied linguistics, but I do like looking at words and stuff. Um, what drew you to that to, as, a, as a field of study? Um, I think just the fact that I always found it very interesting, uh, learning about, you know, the origins of certain words in the English language and how they've actually evolved over time and sometimes Mm -hmm. in ways that are quite surprising. Like one example that I like is that the English word for black, like our word black, actually comes from the French word blanc, which means white, but but it's reversed over time. Yeah, Uh, we still have the English word blank as well. Right. I guess we borrowed it twice. So originally we borrowed it and it meant blank for a while, like as in an empty space, a void. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we t- interpreted that a void is black. So we got the word for that. Uh, and then I guess we had to borrow blank again because now we needed a new word for a void or an empty space. <laughs> <laughs> that is, wow. I just learned something and I'm willing to bet that many listeners have as well. Um, mm. One of the things, uh, and I'd love to have your opinion on this, one of the things mm-hmm. that I feel is happening over time is that mm-hmm. while there are very um, obvious distinctions between the English language that we use here in the U.S. and, you know, not to say of the regionalisms, but <laughs> obviously yeah. British English, American English, Australian, New Zealand English, and I mean, there's mm-hmm. South African as well. Yeah that um, because we have so much more access to the cultures of other um, English speakers, that Mm. those lines are starting to blur. Um, There are phrases I hear Americans use that I would say, yep, nobody was saying that 20 years ago. I'm trying to think of a good example. I hear Americans say, that ticks all the boxes now. And mm-hmm. we never said tick the box, you know, we check the box, okay. it's a checkbox. I don't know, I just feel like there's some kind of blurring, there's some kind of melding, or a melting, yeah. melting pot of English that the internet is um, making possible. Yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. And certainly in Australia, it's something that I guess we're more aware of because so much of our media, like so much of the TV shows we watch and the movies we watch and all that kind of thing, uh, do in fact come from the United States and to a lesser extent from Britain, but largely the United States. So um, especially like conservative commentators in the newspapers, you'll often uh, read them like bemoaning the loss of Australian authentic English or whatever <laughs> and the increasing Americanization of our language and blah, blah. Um which, you know, it, it's definitely happening, I suppose. Like, I know that uh, my mum uses all kinds of slang that I pretty much don't hear anybody say except for her because no one in the younger generation says those kind of things anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but I think it's also, like, I think it's important to maintain this kind of uh localisms. Like, I don't think we would want to live in the kind of world where everybody just speaks English or any language really, like, all the exact same all around the world. Like, there 
it's good to actually retain some of those kinds of localisms. But at the same time, it's also not a bad thing that people are speaking, I guess, a more standardised kind of English um, in those kind of international contexts and so that we actually have a greater amount of understanding, I suppose, across cultures. Um, like one story that strikes me is apparently when uh, like movies with sound first mm-hmm. came out, um, when they were first invented, and British movies started arriving in the US and probably the reverse also happened. But people in those days just could not understand the English spoken on the other side of the Atlantic. Like Americans could not understand pretty much any British accents. Uh, people in Britain, I think, had a bit of an easier time understanding the American just because there's such a variety of accents within Britain. But still, it wasn't that easy. Like cinemas would have to run subtitles at the bottom of the screen <laughs> so people understood this other form of English they'd never heard before. Yeah. Um, and obviously these days we don't need that. Like we understand the diversity of accents in English so much more easily than I guess, you know, our grandparents' generation would have. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. So I'm okay yeah, with that. I, like I don't care. I, I just think it's interesting. Yeah. I know one that really bothers my dad quite a lot is when people say, My bad. Like when somebody <laughs> has made a mistake and then you call them out on it and they go, Oh, my bad. And my dad is like that is not a noun. You can't say my bad. It is an adjective. Um, yeah. Whereas for me, of course, like that has never stood out to me as some kind of incorrect English thing. Like I have no problem with people saying my bad. But yeah. I cannot tell my dad that because he gets quite animated. <laughs> no, nor would you like to uh, give him a review of all the words he uses that are former adjectives or verbs now being used as nouns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which, my bad, I I don't like them either necessarily, but you just, that's language. So that's yeah, what, exactly. you know, that's, as the kids that's say. That's what happens with language. <laughs> as the kids say these days, it gives me all the feels. Uh, yes, that's I another one, yeah. I hated that one. I, <laughs> now I'm like, I say it, you know, I feel you. That sounds creepy to 10-year-old me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, language is doing that all the time. Um, and it's something that has bothered people pretty much through all of time. Like we have right. <laughs> writings from the ancient Greeks of people bemoaning the way that young people speak today and they're speaking the language all wrong and they need to speak it correctly. Like it's a thing, I guess, that they've always been curmudgeons all throughout history and I think they'll probably <laughs> continue to be curmudgeons, but we don't have to listen to them, I suppose. <laughs> Another fun and interesting and actually educational thing that you posted recently was a link to a Harry Potter sorting quiz. And I have to admit, it made me rethink my view of myself. Oh, really? (laughs) For those who don't know about Harry Potter, there is uh, this Mm -hmm. notion that there are four houses that the, Mm -hmm. the wizarding school students, you know, are sorted into based on we don't know what, based on a hat, actually, there's a hat. Yeah, and it, it's meant to be kind of based on their personalities, I suppose, like yeah. what personality treat, uh, traits make you go into a certain house. Yeah, so I had done the sorting quiz on the Pottermore site. It surprised me at the time. I was like, oh, I guess I'm a Ravenclaw. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting, you know. Well, on this quiz, which is much more detailed, it feels like you're taking a true, um, you know, something in the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> yeah, it's very detailed. It's quite sure. detailed. 
and also the notion that you have a primary and a secondary house personality, and that made sense, sort of primary based on why you do things and secondary on how. I didn't Mm. get Ravenclaw for either one. (laughs) I I got Gryffindor, and I'm like, but I'm not that brave. Then also, like, another level of that idea of modeling a certain house Mm. so that you would like to be like certain, you know, yeah, right? That and for that, I model. I'm, I'm a Gryffindor modeling Hufflepuff. So. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do like to have everybody get along, and I don't really love conflict. So. Yes. But, yeah, that makes sense. But you're a Ravenclaw, right? Yes. Yeah. So certainly, when I was a kid, I would always do these like sorting hat quizzes, and I would nearly always get Ravenclaw. Um, but then when Pottermore came along, I did the Pottermore quiz and it gave me Hufflepuff. And I was like, that can't be right. Like, I'm not a Hufflepuff. So then I, like, kept making Pottermore uh, accounts to do the quiz again and it would keep giving me Hufflepuff every time. And I was like, <laughs> is it right? Um, so then when I found that quiz, the really detailed one, um, and it gave me a Ravenclaw primary, like that's the motivations why I do things. But then it gave me the Hufflepuff methods mm-hmm. uh, as the secondary house. And I was like, ah, well, then that does kind of make sense, uh, mm-hmm. especially because it gives you the really detailed explanation and, you know, going through the detailed explanation and it was kind of like, you know, you put in the hard work and you like to make, you know, you like to make people feel welcomed. You like to bridge the divide between people. You're a caring, compassionate kind of person. I was like, well, that is me. I would like to think. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. Anyway, I found it very fascinating and it's definitely something that I would not have run across on my own. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have introduced it to you. That's also been interesting with micro.blog a good percentage of the people who post, they identify as introverts. I like that people feel like they can be themselves and find other people who get them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the kind of space, I guess, where you don't really have to worry about other people like judging you. So Mm -hmm. you can post these kind of introspective things and, uh, you know, maybe share a bit more about yourself than you would share to your coworkers, let's say. You know, you can be a little bit more personal, and it's quite a nice thing about the platform. Yeah. The other thing that I like is the, um, the feeling that people share stuff that is, is real to them um, in a way mm-hmm. that is not meant to be posing as, I don't know, like the, I don't feel sort of envy slash annoyance <laughs> when yeah, I look, look I at people's photos. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I feel like nobody um, on microblog feels like they have anything to prove, really. Like they can be their authentic selves and they don't have to boast about, um, I don't know, the holidays they go on, not that people are going <laughs> on any holidays at the moment. But, you know, they don't have to post about their cool cars or like the amazing grades that their children got at school or anything <laughs> like that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't know about anybody's children's grades. <laughs> no, but on Facebook, you'd be surprised how many Facebook friends' children's grades that I have read about. <laughs> <laughs> no, instead, I, I just know that the children the children of micro.blog are 
a very interesting bunch <laughs> in their own right. Yeah. And, uh, they do all sorts of interesting, fun, inspiring, adorable children things. And that's what I like yeah. to hear about. Yeah, for sure. The other thing, as you mentioned earlier, that we do like on micro.blog is cats. And yes. uh, <laughs> you have a most adorable cat. Is it hard to get all those adorable pictures? Is she uh, is she willing to sit for a photo? Um, she is sometimes. Not all the time, but she is definitely willing to sit enough of the time that I seem to accumulate a lot of photos of her on my phone. So, you know, that's probably enough for the purpose of uh, updating microblog constantly on how she's doing on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jess, I really, I could go on like this, of course, but before we wrap up this episode, is there anything that I haven't asked you about or something you would like to add that, uh, or anything to share with the listeners? Yeah, you know, it's good to get to know people in the microblog community and to talk about all of these different topics, some of which we've talked about today. And it's been a really fun time. I've been glad to be here. Well, listeners, if you want to follow Jess on micro.blog, there is a link in the show notes, or you can go to micro.blog slash JLS. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.